If you have been with us for the last several months throughout the fall, you know that we are about halfway through studying the book of Mark, where we've been meeting Jesus and seeing his compassion, his love, his, his power, his authority, all this very beautiful stuff. And we're excited uh, to get back into the book of Mark, but not yet, in a couple weeks. January 29th, we'll be diving back into the second half of that book. But this morning and for the next two Sundays, each one of us, pastors, uh, myself this morning, Jen next week, and Bill the following week, are going to just take a, a different approach somewhere else outside the book of Mark and just share something uh, that is on each one of our hearts. And this morning, to start off, I want to ask you two pretty important questions. And the first one is, is, is why, are you, why are you here? Why do you prioritize this weekly worship gathering with God's people. Why are you here? There's a lot of really good reasons, actually. There's some really terrible ones, too, but there's some really good reasons, right? You might say, well, I come here to, to give praise, to worship God, and to, to, to direct my mind towards Him. You might come to, to be fed with the preaching and communion. You might come to, to not receive, but to give, to serve, you might come just to connect with brothers and sisters, and that's, those are all really great things that take place. My second question, though, is just as important for this morning, and that is, how many of you have seen one of or all of the movies in the Toy Story franchise? Come on, nobody's going to... Thank you. Do those not seem connected to you? Because they are to me. Why you're here this morning and the Toy Story movies are actually really connected to me. Because every time I watch the Toy Story movies, I hope those, I didn't actually notice if anybody didn't raise their hand. But if you didn't raise your hand, the Toy Story movies are a movie franchise that has four movies. First one started in 1995 when I was a little boy, and the last one just came out in 2019. I think they're talking about a Toy Story 5, and I'm not sure I'm ready for that, but that's okay. They're movies that are loved by all generations, and they're movies that have been responsible for making kids everywhere wonder, what really happens to my toys when I leave the room? And the natural answer is they come to life and go on crazy awesome adventures, because that's just what they do. And these movies, they follow two toys, Woody the Cowboy and Buzz Lightyear the Space Ranger, and they go on all sorts of adventures. But underneath the storyline of each of the movies is kind of this sub-theme that runs through all the movies. And it's that the kid to whom the toys belong, his name is Andy, has written in permanent marker his name on the bottom of the toy's boots. And if you ever pay attention to when that truth comes up in the movie, it's always at the most important times. It's always when Buzz and Woody are lost, when they forget who they are, when they are confused when they feel like they have no purpose and no worth, when everything around them is falling apart, they look at the bottom of their shoe and they see that they have the name of their owner, of their kid, written on the bottom of their foot. They bear the name of their kid. And when they do that, everything changes for them. They have hope. They're reoriented. They have purpose now. These are the turning points in the movie. In fact, writing a kid's name on the bottom of trash, even a spork, turns it into a treasured possession. It's this beautiful sub-theme throughout the entire movie, but in the exact same way that Woody and Buzz 
need to be reminded that they bear the name of their kid who loves them and cares for them. So we come together every single week to be reminded of the same thing. That the people of God bear the name of God, and that changes everything. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's one of the reasons it's essential that we come together to be reminded and to remind one another that you bear the name of God and the implications of that. To get there this morning, we're going to have to do a little biblical theology. This is going to be a little bit of a different sermon than what you might be used to. Typically, what we'll do is we will open up to a set chunk of Scripture and walk through it, kind of pulling out what God has for us in a, in a block chunk. But today we're going to do a little bit of biblical theology. Biblical theology is different. Biblical theology is a little bit like uh, a pair of uh, plaid pajama pants that I have recently. And uh, in those pants, I, I had a string that was kind of loose and hanging out, and I, I grabbed the string and I pulled it. The problem was I kept pulling, and I kept pulling, and I had to stop pulling or else my pajama pants would have turned into pajama shorts, right? It starts to unravel. That's terrible for clothing, right? You've had those with sweaters or, or socks. I actually just did it on my shirt earlier, and I was like, oh, don't, just stop pulling. And thankfully, it, it, it popped, right? But if you, if you have that with your clothing, just go get scissors. Don't do what I did. Go get a pair of scissors and just cut it. It's really bad for clothing, but it's really good for reading the Bible. When you see a thread, when you see a theme in Scripture that you hear repeated, don't be afraid to pull it. Pull it and keep pulling and see how God has not just always taught everything in one concise block, but biblical theology are these threads that God has woven throughout all of Scripture that maybe don't have one concentrated chunk of teaching, but it permeates everything that God communicates. And he communicates through both ways, chunk teaching, block teaching, and then also theology that is woven throughout the entire Scripture. And both are designed to communicate to us the heart of God, who we are, and what it means to live in light of those two realities. And so this morning, we're just going to pull the thread, okay? We're going to grab this idea of bearing the name of God, pull it, and see where we go. To get there, we're going to go to two places primarily. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 19 and 1 Peter 2. We're actually going to stop a number of other places, but I think I'd tire out your fingers flipping through a couple of places. So some of these passages I'm just going to tell you and describe. And as I mention them, I will tell you where they're found. So if you want to jot them down in the notes on your phone or a piece of paper or whatever you want, just so you can, can track them and see that I'm not making this thread up, you can kind of track that way. But the two places that we're going to sit for just a few minutes longer than others is Exodus 19 and 1 Peter 2. Before we just dive into uh, Exodus 19, let me, let me set the stage for us. The Bible opens with God creating everything. All of creation is, comes about by the word of his mouth. He speaks, it happens. He creates humanity, but right away humanity rebels against him. This is the story of Scripture. This is our history as people, that we have rejected God. But as soon as we rejected God, God made a promise. He said that one day I'm going to bring a rescuer from the, from the human race, from people, to rescue people, who's going to crush the head of the enemy and bring us back to God and make everything right again. And the book of Genesis tracks one family that God has chosen through whom 
that rescuer, that deliverer is going to come. And we follow a man named Abraham. And Abraham's family grows into the nation of Israel. And as the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, closes, it opens into book number two, Exodus, where this nation is now oppressed and enslaved in the land of Egypt. And they're crying out under their oppression to God, and God hears their cries, and he sends a deliverer. Not the deliverer yet, but a deliverer who is of the same type. And in Exodus chapter 6, we hear that God says to Moses, he says, tell the Israelites this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'm going to free you from being slaves. And he says a really important word. He says, I'm going to redeem you, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. To redeem is financial language. I'm going to buy you back. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And what God does is just what he promised. He destroys Egypt and rescues the people and brings them to himself. And he brings them to an important mountain, and that mountain is Sinai. This is where most of the first five books of the Bible take place, at Sinai. And this is where God does the idea. This is the, this is the start of that thread where God puts his name on his people. And as we go to Exodus 19, you're not going to hear the language of God putting his name, but you're going to see him do it. And then the rest of the Bible is going to unpack the idea of bearing his name. Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. They come to Mount Sinai. They're here at the place where they're going to meet with God. This is where they formalize their covenant, where God first puts his name on his people. And it says this, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said to him, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine... You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. And some of the beautiful language that God uses to describe his people. He says, first of all, I have brought you to myself. You are my treasured possession. Do you hear those words of belonging? I will be your God. You will be my people. I have brought you to myself. I have bought you. I have redeemed you. You are my treasured possession, belonging to God. We can kind of connect with that a little bit. Christmas obviously just took place, and in our house, there were a number of gifts that we gave to, to all the kids that are the same. And in order to prevent their siblings from eating their candy or taking their stickers, what, what did my kids do? They grabbed a marker and they wrote their name on their stuff to indicate what? Ownership. This belongs to me. In fact, this past summer, when we finalized the adoption of our two youngest kids, what happened in that moment? They took our name. We put our name on these two little ones so that they know what? That they belong. That there is a family, there is safety, there is comfort, there's a security that comes in that. It's a source of identity, a place they can have roots, 
And they now bear not only our shepherd name, but their middle names were changed so that all four of our kids, they, their names, their middle names are connected to my parents and Jolie's parents. Because not only do they belong to us, they belong to a larger family. They bear not only our names, but our grandparents, or their grandparents' names. The name is a huge sense of identity and belonging. But he goes on to say, not only will you be a treasured possession, you will be for me, verse 6, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, what, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? And what does that have to do with bearing the name of God? Well, continue with me to the next chapter. If you've got your Bibles open, you can just look right over and see that Exodus 20 is the place that we often call the Ten Commandments, right? Interestingly enough, that passage doesn't call them commandments. It calls them the words. Here are the words that God spoke. Chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words. The reason I say that is because the very first thing that God says to Israel is not a command. See if you can see it there. It doesn't start with a command. It starts with a reality that God has already done. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The first word's not a command. The first word is God saying, here's what I have done. You belong to me. And what he does after that is unpacks the implications of that. If you belong to me, then worship me alone. Don't worship other false gods. Don't make idols. And then we come to the, what we would call the third commandment. And I don't know about you, but it's always kind of caught me off guard why it's ranked so high, why it's so much at the, at the top of the list. Because it reads like this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, I don't know how you grew up and how you think about that passage, but I've always grown up thinking it means don't say OMG, don't say oh my God or Jesus Christ if you're angry or stub your toe or something like that. Don't use it as a curse word. And Okay, that's not really a very good idea. It is that, but it is more. You see, what's really interesting where it says, the, don't, use, don't misuse the name of the Lord, it's the Hebrew verb nasah. And to nasah something means to carry it, to, to bear it with you, to walk around with it. So what he's saying is, don't bear and don't carry the name of the Lord your God with you in vain. Far bigger concept than just don't use his name as a curse word. In other words, if we're to take the, the opening commands, the opening words that God speaks to the nation of Israel, he says this, I have rescued you, I have redeemed you, I have brought you to myself, you belong to me, so worship me alone and represent me well to the world around you. To bear the name of God, Carmen Imes, who's a professor and scholar who wrote a book called Bearing God's Name, says this, that as his treasured possession, Israel's vocation, Israel's job, the reason that they were created, the thing they were born to do is to represent their God to the rest of humanity. They function in a priestly way, mediating between God and everyone else. What does it mean to bear the name of God? What does it mean to be a kingdom of priests? It means belong, and it means you represent. The representing piece, I think we get. When someone wears a sports team jersey, they represent the team. 
This is why Philadelphia fans, we hate when people keep bringing up the snowballs and Santa incident and the batteries. We're like, just, just a few people, right? It doesn't represent the whole, but it does. When you bear that team's name, that happens. Parents, this is why it's so hard for us not to root our identity in our kids and their behavior. When they do something really great, we just kind of puff up a little bit. That's my boy. That's my girl right there. And when they make stupid decisions, you question your existence. Why? Because they bear your name. Because they represent you. Because they carry your name with them for good or for bad. And so in these two questions, we see that the heart of of bearing the name of God means, number one, there's a belonging to God. And number two, there's a representing of God to the people around, the priestly role. Let's grab that thread again. Let's pull it a little harder. It doesn't break. We find another place. Exodus chapter 28. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. Exodus 28 is one of those places in your Bible reading plan that you are just moved to tears to. And it's not because it's so moving, because you go, why do I have to read about the high priest's clothing? All right? It's one of those places you just go, I'm just going to wait till we get to the book of Joshua or something later, right? Wait till we get to the Gospels and the reading plan. No, but there's something really beautiful in it. This chapter 28 is entirely devoted to the clothing of the high priest. Very detailed. But in this passage, what you find is this, that the high priests are to take a plate of pure gold, and on that plate of pure gold, inscribe this phrase, Kodesh le Yahweh, holy to the Lord. And they're to hang it on the turban that they wear so that it rests on their forehead. So what is the high priest literally doing? He's literally bearing the name of the Lord on his forehead. Everywhere he goes, he carries the name of God for all to see. And he serves as a sort of object lesson to the rest of the people. What he does in a very visible, physical way so that everyone can see holy to the Lord, he's bearing the name of God on his forehead, is an object lesson, is a reminder to the nation as they see him, they're reminded of their vocation. They're reminded that they are a kingdom of priests who bear the name of God so that everywhere they go, they belong to him and they represent him. In the same way that the high priest would go between God and the people, Israel as a nation was designed to go between God and the rest of the nations. That's their purpose. There's something else, though, that's really cool about what the high priest wears. In Exodus 28, verse 21, same chapter They're told to wear a chest piece, breast piece, breastplate that has 12 unique gems and stones on it. And each one of the gems is inscribed with one of the names of the tribes of Israel. So not only does the high priest bear the name of the Lord, but he bears the name of the people. So that when you look at the people, when you look at this one man, you see both God and man in one person. Not only does the high priest represent God to the people, but he represents the people to God every time he goes into the presence of God. He's far more than an object lesson. He's a mediator that goes between God and man. He bears the name in a very physical sense 
And if you go a little further, pull the string just a little more. Let's just keep pulling the string, you know, whatever. Let's pull it. <laughs> pull the string and you go a little further and you learn something about what the high priest does. One of the roles of the high priest is to bless the people of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 6, another place you can write down if you want, the Lord says to Moses, tell Aaron, who is the high priest, and his sons, the future high priest, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, and you can probably say it with me, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Does that sound familiar? Personally, whenever I pronounce benediction over our service to end our time together, and the benediction is always designed so that God gets the final word, that he says the last thing before you leave, I always use this one. You can use lots of other benedictions. You can write your own if you want to. You you can find it from other places, combining passages, but I'll always go to this one. And it's not because I'm too lazy to find something else. It's because of what you find in the very verse that follows this, verse 27. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and fill you with his peace. Verse 27, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So that act of blessing by the high priest is putting the name of God on the people. It's God's reminder that when he gets final word, his final word is, you bear my name. So as you go, not only do you go alone, you go and my name is on you, which means you belong to me and you represent me to the world around you. Pause, kind of recap where we've talked. The people of God bear the name of God because he has rescued them and he has put it on them. He has brought them to himself, which means that they belong to him and they have the responsibility of representing him to the world around. And yet there's this unique individual in the life of the people of Israel who is the high priest who actually bears in a physical sense what the people bear in an invisible sense. And he is designed to go between, to represent the people to God and God to the people in order to receive the Lord's blessing. Now, there's a pretty big problem that I just went flying past when we were in Exodus 19. And it's actually a major issue because there was a condition on all of this. Did you catch it? Look at Exodus 19.5 if you happen to still be there. This is how this passage starts. It says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. There's a condition on all of this. If you obey me fully and keep all my commands, then you will belong to me. Then you will represent me to the world around you. And as I say that, I hope you go, "Uh uh-oh, Because you know the rest of your Bible, right? You know that the people of Israel do an absolutely horrible job at keeping their end of the covenant. And not only do they do a horrible job, but their high priests do a horrible job. As God is giving the commands, the covenants to his people, what are they doing at the bottom of the mountain? Their high priest, who's designed to mediate between God and man, is doing what? He's breaking all the rules. He's violating the covenant. It's like he's cheating on God on his honeymoon night. He's creating an idol 
and leading Israel, not in the worship of the one true God who has rescued them and put his name on them, but in worshiping an idol, a false god, and then making up a story about how it just jumped out of the fire for him. I mean, the leaders are a mess. The people are a mess. Which leaves us looking for a person who can both represent God and man and do so in full obedience to the covenant instructions that God has given. And it won't surprise you a bit, I hope, that this is exactly how Jesus is presented to us. This is who he is. That Jesus isn't just the one who carries the name of God on his forehead, but is God himself, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh. That God took on a body to come and be with us so that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And he lives a perfect life and doesn't just carry the names of the people of God on his shirt, but he even bears the sins of the people on the cross to the point of death. This is the mystery of, of, of the birth of Jesus, of the incarnation. That in Jesus, who is the ultimate high priest, the book of Hebrews teaches us, you see in fullness God and in fullness man. He is the God-man, fully God and fully man. And he lives a perfect life representing the Father. And he gave his life as a representative mediating the sins of, peop of the people. And what's beautiful about why Jesus came is that he didn't just come as the high priest for one people group, one nation, but he came to reveal that God's heart from the very beginning has always been that those of us who are not descended physically from the line of Abraham might be brought into the family of God by the faith of Abraham. So that those who look to Jesus in faith the book of Acts says, are Gentiles, non-Jewish people who bear the name of God. This has always been his goal. That's good news for us. We are thousands of years and thousands of miles removed from this, and yet here we are, worshiping the one true God together. And yet we find ourselves in the same boat. Because whatever God has revealed to us that we are to do, Anybody ready to stand up and claim that you fully obeyed every aspect of that? I highly doubt it. You and I cannot fully obey enough to earn a place of belonging in the family of God. And yet we have a place, not because we have earned it, but because our big brother has earned it. Because Jesus came, and by his perfect life, his perfect obedience, he did the conditions of the covenant. He obeyed fully. He bore the name of, Jesus, of God perfectly by representing God perfectly in every one of his actions. And he did it from the heart. He who was without sin lived the perfect life and then as an act of mercy and grace, he extends that to you and me. So that 1 John 3 can say, can say what great love the Father has poured out on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are, not because of our own goodness, but because we've been given it by grace. So then the New Testament writers come along, and if you want to turn over to 1 Peter 2, I just want you to see what Peter describes Christians as. Followers of Jesus, those who are putting their trust in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. What does that do for us? 
1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10 say this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And you see the exact same phrases that were conditional at Mount Sinai. You don't see the condition anymore. It's not an if you do this, then. It says you are. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special possession. No qualifiers, no condition. Why? Because if you belong to Jesus, you are united with him and you, what's true of him is now true of you. So he who belongs and bears the name of God perfectly, you're with him. What's true of him is now true of you. It's the act of grace that God gives us in Christ. And he's given you as a follower of Jesus, not only his name, but he's given you his spirit. That is a deposit, sealing our salvation, guaranteeing that what he has begun will come to completion the day that the Lord returns to this earth. So what does all this mean then for us? Well, it means the exact same things. It means that you belong to him. Yes, in spite of your last week, as rough as it is, if you are united with Jesus in faith, you belong, you bear the name of your God. And it's not something that you have put on yourself, but it's something that has been written on you in permanent marker. That even in the moments of doubt, even in the moments of your fear, you belong to God. And this is the appeal for everything. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel uses the fact that he bears the name of God as an appeal to God to, for God to hear him. He says this, he says, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. How can you know that your past sins are forgiven and that your present ones that you're committing now and the ones you will commit will be forgiven? Because you bear his name. You belong to him. He has put it on you, and you know what it cost him. He has put his name on you, knowing your whole story, even the parts that you don't know yet. You don't surprise God. Having his name written on you means you belong to him, that you are loved, that he sees you, that he has promised that he is taking every bit of your story, the good and the hard, and that even the suffering in your life is being used to make you more like Jesus. Why? Because you bear his name. That he began a really good work in you and that he has promised to make you look just like Jesus in the end, and he will bring it to completion. Why? Because you bear his name. That your suffering does not is not wasted, that sin does not have final word in your life, that you're fully forgiven, you're a new creation because you bear his name. You belong to God. And if you belong to him, you now have the privilege and the responsibility to represent him to the world. And it's not as though his name is a sticker that you can take off whenever you want to. 
you represent, you bear the name of God wherever you go. How would that maybe change the way you go to school? How would that change the way you go to work if you realize, I bear the name of God with me as I go? How would it change the way you speak to your spouse and kids or talk about your spouse and kids, knowing that you bear the name of God wherever you go? How does your driving represent God? How does your search history represent God on the internet? How does every... Do you see how this isn't just a one little application sermon? This is a mindset. This is a mentality shift that, is, that gives you a whole new lens to which you see the world. That God has by grace put his name on me, which means beautiful things, and comes with a beautiful responsibility and a wonderful privilege to represent God by the way we speak, by the way that we live, to everyone you come in contact with. I don't know about you, but there are moments where I look and I go, man, I'm such a mess. I'm pretty sure he's going to get out his eraser. I'm pretty sure if you know the Toy Story movies, you can paint over Sharpie. I'm pretty sure I'm going to screw this up so much that he's going to take his name off of me. And this is where the Bible doesn't leave it just that God put his name on you but Isaiah 49 tells us that God has actually put your name on him. He says, behold, I have engraven your names in the palm of my hands so that you and I, unlike Buzz and Woody, don't look at the bottom of our shoes to be reminded that we bear the name of God, but we look to the cross and the empty tomb that our Savior bore in his hands the nails that held him to the cross so that nothing, not death itself, and not a single thing can you screw up big enough if you belong to Jesus to cause him to erase his name from you. Because not only has he put his name on you, but he's put your name on him. That's the assurance that we have. That for 2, Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 2 says that if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What a gift. We just sang this song, that before the throne of God above, I have a strong and a perfect plea, a great high priest, the ultimate great high priest, whose name is love, ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, and my name is written on his heart's. And while in heaven he stands, no tongue, not from the enemy, not from my own doubts, can bid me depart. And even when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt that's within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. And because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, who is just, is satisfied to look on him and to pardon me. That is the gospel. You bear the name of God. And what's hard about that is you have to receive that today by faith. Because I can look at your foreheads and I don't see Kadesh le Yahweh. I don't see holy to the Lord written on it. I can't look into your hearts. I can't see. 
because we bear it in an invisible way. But what's beautiful is the book of Revelation tells us that one day, what is true that we receive by faith, which is so hard, it's so hard to believe this, it's so hard to represent our Lord well. But what is invisible will one day be visible, and one day the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the new city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. That is your destiny, that you will know without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Him. And you will bear him perfectly because the curse is gone. That's our future. That's our future, brothers and sisters. And by God's grace, may we rest, repent, going back again and again, resting in the person of Jesus and what he's done for our belonging. You belong not because you're so great. You belong because Jesus is great. And we go back to Jesus over and going, Jesus, empower me, strengthen me that I might represent you well, that I might bear your name faithfully. Let's do that together. Father, we need you to do what you have called us to do. We in and of ourselves do not fully obey you, but we look in confidence and in trust to Jesus, our big brother, the perfect great high priest who intercedes for us, who has given us his righteousness, his goodness, his obedience. We belong to him. If we belong to him, we belong to you and all the thousands upon thousands of blessings that come with belonging to you. And Lord, what a tremendous responsibility you have called us to, to be your representatives, to be your ambassadors, to bear your name in every place that we go. Lord, forgive us for trying to pull your name off us like a sticker when it's convenient and acting as though we don't represent you in certain areas of our lives, compartmentalizing and pulling you out of it. Lord, we're so foolish for that. We're sorry. And Lord, would you strengthen us so that we might faithfully represent you. And when we fall on our face, which we will, Jesus, we're coming again to you for the grace because you do constantly intercede for us. You are a great high priest who lives today to intercede for us. We praise you. We bless you. We ask you to strengthen us to do what you have called us to do, because without you, we can do nothing. We pray this in the name of our high priest, Jesus. Amen.